you would please stand with me at the reading of God's word for us this morning. Acts 18 verses 1 through 17. Acts 18 verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius. Recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews. If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal, and they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. Beloved, this is the word of God for us today. You may be seated. Well, I don't know how much you know about the church in Corinth. These are the beginnings of a church that is, um, you you couldn't say a boring church. Uh, There are lots of crazy things happening in the church in Corinth, and this is a pretty I I guess, exciting passage in the sense of what Paul is experiencing when he first founds this this church. And what I want uh, to to walk through as we walk through this this passage is I want your attention especially to quotes in Corinth. That's the title of the sermon, quotes in Corinth. Because three scenes uh, of Paul's time are marked out by three statements. I'm going to give you a summary of what I think the whole passage is teaching, and then we're going to give attention to really three quotes in Corinth. 
Acts 18 verses 1 through 17 is about this. Christ watches over the one who works for his people's good. Christ watches over the one who works for his people's good. I want to unpack that statement with these three oats and corn. These are three sentences that we should live by. These are three sentences that can change your life. And three sentences that should shape your whole life. And the first one is your blood on your heads. Scene number one, Paul is ministering to the Jews in Corinth. And what he says to them, we should take all the way in. Hear him say, your blood on your own heads. Now that's a, that's a curse that, that Paul is speaking in the synagogue that, that day that he's preaching to the Jews and they're opposing him and reviling him. But, but before that curse, in the first few verses of our passage, uh, it's a different kind of conversation I trust that he's having with these tent makers, uh, Aquila and Priscilla. These, these would become his, some of his most treasured co-laborers. Now Claudius is, is, is ruling over Rome and he kicks uh, the Jews out. And, and what we see here is when he does this and Priscilla and Aquila find themselves in Corinth, the Lord is orchestrating come a really significant discipleship relationship as Paul then will separate from Priscilla and Aquila and they'll go out and serve the Lord. And here he is making tents. You may be familiar with this idea that Paul, uh, at least at this portion of his ministry in Corinth, is is bivocational. That is, he's preaching the gospel, but he's giving his living from, from being a tent maker. Now, in chapter, in verse five, whenever his friends come to him, they come with encouragement from the church in Thessalonica. They also, we know from Philippians, come with financial gift that then frees him up from that moment on to preach the gospel and not be concerned with taking anymore. At this point, that he's discipling Priscilla and Aquila, who will come up again in the next passage. But now we're focused on Paul's words in the synagogue. Verses 4-6, through six, look there. Paul, we're told, is occupied with the Word. This word occupied is used in several other key places. In 2 Corinthians 5, it says Paul is controlled by the love of Christ. When he's speaking to this church in Corinth in his second letter, he says, everything I'm doing is controlled by my understanding of Christ's love. That word occupied is translated uh, elsewhere a little differently. In Acts chapter 7, the Jews were occupied or there it says the Jews stopped their ears from hearing preaching of Christ and instead rushed at Stephen and killed him. They were occupied with murder. 
And it means to be controlled by, consumed with, and, and, and totally focused upon. What is the intense focus of Paul's ministry? It's not making tense. What is he under pressure to do? It is to convince people that Jesus is the Christ. And the people he's talking to is four through six and looking for the Christ. They're the ones with the promise from Psalm 89. The Lord says, I have made a promise and a covenant. I have chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant, that I will establish his children forever and build a throne for him for all generations. And what Paul is saying to them is the king you've been waiting for, the only one who God says can bring you peace in your life, the only one who can bring you a real kind of prosperity, not one that passes away, but a peace in your heart and a relationship with God and riches and righteousness, that king is Jesus. They also know what you and I should know. That if God has made that promise to the son of David, Jesus, and if he has come, and if we will not bow the knee to him, the promises in the Old Testament also say he will bring a sword. That two-edged sword. That will consume everyone who does not have allegiance to a king. And the Jews hear this and they revile Paul. I want you to understand that they are opposing Christ. When the text says that the Jews hear this message, if you revile and hate the preacher, You're not just opposing the preacher. You're not just opposing the man. You are opposing the subject of the preaching. And so we come to this first quote in verse 6. When they opposed and reviled him, Paul shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood, Be on your own heads. I want us to consider what he does, but also what he says. First, he does something. Now, you may not have known this about me. I'm a pretty cultured guy. I know about cultures. Um, See, in some cultures, if you... You may show the bottom of your foot to people in your culture, and it's fine. In some cultures, it's very rude. And there are other cultures that, it, you know, you may, like, like me, when I had my hand broken, I was eating with my left hand. Well, if I, if I did that in certain countries, I would be considered filthy. Let me tell you about the apostle at this moment. Verse 6. Shaking his clothes. Or if you see an apostle dusting off his sandals. We can put it in terms you might understand. He's brushing the haters off. 
Here's the way the Old Testament puts it. I, Nehemiah said, shook out the fold of my garment and I told them, so may God shake out every one of you who do not keep His promise. So may you be shaken out and emptied. What Paul is doing when he shakes out these garments is he's foreshadowing that God is going to shake them out of His kingdom. He will judge, in other words, whoever will not keep His Word. That is, believe His promise and hold it in their hearts. And here, Paul is saying, Jesus is the King you are waiting for. He is the one that God has exalted when He raised Him from the dead. And if you will not bow the knee, if you will not acknowledge Jesus, if you will not honor Jesus with all of your life, it doesn't matter how religious you are. It doesn't matter that you think you are more holy than other people in your life. If you will not honor Jesus, God is going to shake you out and empty you. You will not have any of His blessings. That's what He does. But He also says something. He's not just playing games with them. He's not just playing charades and hoping they remember Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 13 when He does what He does. He says, I am innocent. I have preached faithfully to you. I have told you the way of salvation. Now I'm leaving you and I will see if the Gentiles, those people you hate, the, the nations who have no God, if they will listen to my warning. He says, when Jesus comes, and He's coming, and when He comes with His sword, you will have no one to blame but yourself. You cannot blame me because I told you. Your blood on your heads. He's using the words of Ezekiel 33. He's saying what Ezekiel was called to do, I have just done. You see, God in His mercy, even for those who live an entire life not regarding Him, who live their lives for other things, who live their lives for themselves, and do not listen to Him. God in His mercy sets up watchmen on a tower whose purpose was to constantly be scanning the horizon for the invading army of enemies. And God has done this in Ezekiel chapter 33. And He says to His preachers, if I tell you that the sword is coming, you better tell My people that the sword is coming. And if there's anyone who does not hear your warning, does not just hear it, but heed your warning. And when the sword comes because they stay where they are and they're not ready for the sword, when it comes and takes them away, their blood will be on their own heads. Because he heard the trumpet, he heard the warning, and he would not heed it. 
his blood will be on himself. Because if he had taken warning, he would have saved his life. God in his mercy sets up watchmen. Beloved, God in his holiness is the one who's carrying the sword. He is the one who has the sword. He is the one who's coming for everyone who does not live for him. This is not one of those wars you hear. This is not one of those wars where you think, well, the enemies are coming in and they've got bombs and they're coming to get us, but they're wicked. Well, we better take that seriously, but they're wicked and wrong. That's not the situation we're talking here. He's talking about equity. He's talking about sin. He's talking about all the self-centered things we do that do not that we don't do because of him. That we any any good thing that we do, that we do not do because of him and for his glory. He's saying, I've got a sword and you will not survive this war. God in his wrath is bringing a sword. And I wonder if you understand what's happening right now when real preaching is what you're hearing. You know what's at stake. When Christ, the King, is exalted on the throne in glory, the alarm is sounding and your blood is being called. This is not the kind of war that ends only in a grave. It's the kind of war that then puts you in hell forever to help us take in this first quote i want to tell you about a fox and a goat your head or your blood on your own heads can be understood helpfully by thinking also about a fox and a goat There's this old English story of how foxes learned over time how to get rid of their fleas. They had tried all kinds of things to fix the issue. They've got good claws and they would get really good at aiming their scratches, but it wouldn't get rid of all their fleas. These fleas that would multiply and bite and nag and infest the whole creature. These fleas that they learned would give them no peace. No matter how much they tore at their own skin, no matter how much they they invited their little friend foxes to come around and help one another out, there's just too many of the fleas. And those fleas are cunning enough to dodge even the, the best scratches. And, this, and the fleas would always come back whenever the foxes would learn, well, if I jump into the, the lake, then some of the foxes will, or the, the, the fleas will go away from me and I'll try to come back out. But some of them would be holding on or just return. So the fox learned over time. The only way to get rid of the fleas is if we will walk along the hedgerow and start taking wool into our mouth gathering together some wool and put it in our mouth. And then the fox would slowly 
submerge itself into that water. We did slowly so that the fleas would see it and start climbing up to the dry parts until ultimately the fox was almost completely submerged except for his head and the, the cotton was in his mouth. And so as he kept going and the fleas kept jumping onto something dry, ultimately they would finally all jump onto the cotton ball, to the wool, until he would dip his head in and they were all What will you do with all the sins that you've already committed? What will you do with the sins you did today and the rest of your life? Will they be on your head? I want to tell you about a goat. On the Day of Atonement, whenever the Jews would would call the Lord to live with them another year, the priest would take a goat. And this one he would leave alive. And he would place his hand on the head of the goat. And he would confess all the sins of all the people. And by doing so, transferred the guilt in God's eyes from the people to the head of this goat. And then he would send it away into the wilderness to bear and carry all their guilt away forever. And the people of Israel, every day of atonement, whenever they saw this, this was the high point day of atonement, whenever he would sacrifice the lamb and take it into the Holy of Holies, but then put all the sins of the people on the goat and to illustrate that he was going to take away their sins. And at this moment on the Day of Atonement, the whole congregation who didn't get to see the Holy of Holies are standing outside and watching the priest do this. And they would scream out together in unison, bear our sins and be gone. Bear our sins and be gone. And then they would start celebrating and feasting together because God had provided a way to take away all their sins and live with them again. Oh, Christian, do you know what happened to you That day when you trusted in Christ, when you heard the alarm and you trusted in the Lamb of God, all of our sins were placed on that precious head. And God will not hold against you what His Son on the cross and in His resurrection carried away from you. Listen to me now. Not everyone here has done that. Listen to me now. Your blood on your head. If you will not trust, love, rely upon, and live for Christ, then your sins will not be transferred to Him. And there is no other head you can put it on but your own. But if you will turn from ignoring it and live for it and trust it, then they'll all go. If you are someone who knows and loves the Lord, Jesus. 
than what Paul has just done, like Ezekiel, is now who you and I have become. If you follow Christ, understand that He saved you for a purpose. And one of those purposes is to serve Him as a watchman for the Gentiles. To call out to everyone you know that the sword is coming. Matthew 28, this is what Jesus said right after He was raised from the dead, right before He went into heaven. All authority is mine now. Now you, go out into all the world and make disciples. Call them to follow Me. I am giving you a word. And here's the deal. What, what, what God said to Ezekiel was, if you say the words from the watchtower and they don't turn... Their blood on their hand, heads. But if I call you to be a watchman and I give you my words and you will not call out, then I will also hold you responsible for their blood. Beloved, this is our task. And we need to understand the task. Making disciples of Jesus Christ starts with a warning of a sword that everyone who will not submit to the king will perish. You cannot leave sin out of your sharing or it's not a savior they'll give. We are watchmen. We are watchwomen. And we warn rebels. And we welcome repenters. Christ watches over the one who works for His people's good. The second quote comes in the second scene. Scene number two is where Paul has now done his ministry to the Jews and now the Lord is coming to minister to Paul. And quote number two is, I am with you. I am with you. Paul says, I'll go to the Gentiles and it doesn't take him long to find a Gentile right next door to the synagogue. He walks out the door and he finds one. Titius Justus, who becomes a believer. Crispus, who was the ruler in the synagogue, who heard the warning of the watchman and left with Paul. And all of his synagogue, or his, his household, then comes to faith. And then we're told that many Corinthians, many people who came from the nations now believe and are baptized. God does give the warning out and people heed the warning. And then the second quote comes in verse 9. Look again. The Lord. And for Luke, the Lord is Jesus. The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed. A year and six months teaching the word of God among them. I want you to consider why is it that brave Paul would be afraid? Well, have you been paying attention in the book of Acts? I mean, every time he preaches, he preaches a new king and he tells the people he's preaching to, you can't be king and you're not good enough. 
And what happens is in Philippi in chapter 16, the owners of a, of a slave girl who came to faith then, then drag him into jail. And then, and then in chapter 17, the Jews are jealous in Thessalonica and then in Berea and they bring their attacks upon him. And then in, in chapter 17 as well, it was now not Jews, but it was pagans. Everyone who hears Paul preach, he knows he's under the risk of being dragged somewhere and threatened with death. Why might brave Paul be afraid? Why do we need this quote from the Lord Jesus to come in a vision and say, do not be afraid? It's because he's afraid. It's not just what he before, it is what he's experiencing currently whenever he's writing to the church in Corinth. He said this, I decided to preach in Corinth nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. He was weak, afraid, and trembling. The city of Corinth was so wicked, so committed to sin and self, that the word Corinth became a verb that you would use. Oh, you're Corinthine. When, when you're speaking of someone committing sexual immorality, pursuing sexual gratification outside of marriage. That's what it meant to Corinth. Corinth was not just a verb. It was also started to be used as a noun for harlots. There were a thousand prostitutes who were serving Aphrodite in Corinth and they would walk the streets looking for anyone to sin against God with. If you're a Christian and you hear Paul say, I was with you. I determined to know nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified with you in much fear and trembling and in weakness. If you're a Christian and you can't say that for yourself, well, you may not be doing it right. It may be that the people around you know that you've determined to talk about all kinds of things except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. But if you talk to people as a faithful watchman, about Jesus Christ, and you tell them to turn to Him now, if you tell them what that means, I'm saying you have to turn from all your passions that conflict with Him. If He tells you no, you don't say no to Him. If you tell them that, if you tell them they can't be the Lord of their life any longer, and they have to turn to a Savior King, well, that will offend them. It will provoke them. And they will use whatever influence they have over you to punish you. Oh, being faithful as a watchman, let me tell you, is often a lonely business. And so you need a word. It is often an experience of being hated by people who shouldn't hate you. It's a fearful business to tell someone they need to change. And Paul's afraid for his safety. He's afraid for his well-being. He is with them in much fear and trembling and weakness. That's why 
the one we see as courageous is afraid. And why the Lord speaks to him in a vision. Now, why should he endure all that? Because of what Jesus says. Two things. I am with you. And no one will harm you. Christ is present with Paul. Christ takes on his lips the the language that God himself came to Joshua whenever Joshua was about to go into Canaan and fight all those vast armies. He said to Joshua, fear not, for I am with you. And these are the same words have spoken to Jeremiah when he first called that prophet who we know to be the hated prophet to do his ministry. God comes to him and says, fear not, you do it, you keep on speaking because they may be against you. But Paul, you're not alone. You're going to feel alone. And beloved, there is a word, not just for Paul, there is a word for you and me. When Jesus, right after he says what he says in the Great Commission, to go into all nations and make disciples, he said what? I am with you always. For all the rejection you face, for all the threats that faithful disciples endure, he is with us. But then he says to Paul, I will not just be present, I will protect. And notice the reason in verse 10. It is for the sake of his people. You will face harm and you should. You should be willing to do this. Because I have many people in this city. You should do it for them. You should do it for them. And he did, verse 11, 18 more months. Right after that, he keeps on teaching. Oh, I think that this is telling us one of the main things that the Lord Jesus is doing right now in heaven is He is making a way for His faithful ministers of the Word, His faithful disciples to keep on facing danger so that His people might keep hearing about Him. Christ watches over the one who works for his people's good. But then there's a third quote. And now it comes on the lips of a pagan. This proconsul Gallio is speaking to a bunch of fussy Jews. They're complaining about how Paul is, is again trying to break the law, they say. And Gallio says... I refuse to judge these things. All three of these quotes are words to live by. Let me explain. Let's hear the quote again on his lips. Verse 14. When Paul was about to open his mouth. This is wonderful. Paul's about to defend himself and he doesn't have to. When Paul's about to open his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, to see to it yourselves, I refuse to be a judge of these things. Now, I think we should applaud Galileo, this 
government official for allowing that day for religious freedom, even providing a precedence for religious freedom. That is to say, there in in Corinth and in the Roman territories, he made a decision that day that would enable freedom to live in accordance with what we believe about God. Now, that is not the level of freedom that we have enjoyed in our country under the Constitution, we are given, this is one of the main reasons we rebelled from George. It is to have freedom of religion. We should applaud Galileo in this sense. It's providing a way for the preaching to keep on happening. He says the reason for this is this is about your laws. You're trying to suggest that this is a, this is a breaking of my laws in Rome, but it's not. You're talking about the law of before God, and because it's about that, Caesar does not have jurisdiction there. We should applaud Galileo for understanding that, that there is a limit to the powers of any kings on earth. And if it belongs to God, you shouldn't transgress that. You should applaud him. And see, in verse 17, he turns a blind eye to the beating of one of the Christians. We shouldn't applaud him that much. Sosthenes, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 1, when Paul writes to the church, he, he and Sosthenes are writing. This is, this is like Crispus. He was a ruler in the synagogue, but he's become a Christian. And it's as if the Jews who hear, see to it yourself. They understand, well, I can't punish Paul. Where's that Benedict Arnold? And they beat Sosthenes. And yet, I don't think that the main point is to think well of Galileo. Proverbs 21, verse 1 says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. The Lord turns every governor's hearts and every decision to what he wants. Luke is making a point here that Jesus has just appeared to Paul. No one will attack you, Paul. And then the Jews attack Paul. But right before Paul could open his mouth, Galileo speaks up for him. Jesus is saying, Luke is telling us that Jesus is saying, speak of me, Paul, and you will not have to speak for yourself. I will move. I will move, Galileo. And you won't have to defend yourself. In other words, the, the, the quote here, that we should mainly be, is not Galileo's. It's not the third quote. It's actually what Luke is suggesting. What he's implying. What God's point is, in Galileo's action. When he quotes Galileo, Luke is actually saying, Christ is faithful. He said they would not attack you, and look at him keep his promises. We should be concerned with the Equality Act before Congress right now. Their ideas in the Equality Act that is arguing for an equality among people 
that if we made decisions, for example, a church, let's say, refuses to hire someone in the LGBTQ community, the Equality Act would come along and say that that kind of case should go to the government in a way that it hasn't before. And the government will have the authority to decide if that church was really being faithful to their God. A government. Or if they're just being discriminatory. It's the opposite of what Gileo is doing. And as, as Christians, you should pray that it wouldn't pass. You should pray that, God, would you let us have freedom to keep living according to what you call us to and not bring Caesar's sword against us in that instance. And when you're praying that, church, do not count on the right to defend you. And your enemy is not the left. You do not count on Caesar at all. You pray for freedom. And if God chooses not to grant it any longer, you better pray again for strength to be faithful to Him when Caesar comes for us. That's who we pray to. And so Paul or Luke is saying, Christ keeps His promises. Keep relying on Him. How many promises have you broken? How many promises have been broken to you? Just know this saint, Christ will never break His word. He watches over who works for the people, His own people. Good. The last thing I want to say is just to encourage us to remember that when Paul or when Luke writes this, Acts 18, he's writing it in a book that has been, we told, is supposed to give asphalt under the feet of a new Christian. In other words, he, he includes, leave this out in order to put asphalt under our, under our faith to be confident. So what is he doing in Corinth? Well, what he, if we just take those three quotes, the, the third one is proving the second one true. Christ was faithful to say, I am with you, Paul. And the third quote doesn't just prove the second one true. It also fuels his preaching of the first one. To keep going out there and say, your blood be on your own head. Because I am with you. And I will be faithful to you. Christian, you should be so encouraged by this text that Christ is committed to getting you His Word. He will do it. He will overcome every obstacle. And the question you should be asking yourself as we leave this passage is, will I be useful to Him? Will I, like Paul, speak when it costs me? Will I, like Sosthenes, endure aggression and punishment, even if it's misaimed. Will I be willing to endure all of that for Christ? You should. Because if you will be a faithful watchman, you need to understand you have no need to fear the wrath that you're warning others of. And yet there is a temporary circumstance that is scary. There will be pressures if you will be faithful. People will hate you if you are faithful. So when faithfulness 
brings scary circumstances. What is the fuel you need? And if you just say, well, Paul was brave, you won't get it. Paul wasn't brave. He was afraid. He believed. To get the fuel you need, you don't have to have one of the promises Paul had. I am with you so that no one will hurt you. That didn't apply to Sosthenes. But the best promise Sosthenes had and you and I have, He is with us. He may not keep the sword from us in this life. He may not keep the beatings from you in this life. You may lose a lot of friends by being faithful. You may lose a lot of loved ones by being faithful. He's not promising not to harm you in that way. But the best promise you have, and that is the presence of Christ. That is better than being protected in this life because we don't just live for this life. We want Him. He is the goal of all we're hoping for. It's having Him. And we will never lose Him. We will die. And He will be with us. He will receive us in the end. Oh God, we pray that You would cause us to be faithful to You. God, encourage us by this truth that You Through Christ, watch over whoever works for your own people's good. God, make us courageous. Not because we're Americans or Republicans or because we have it easy. God forbid if there's any cowards in here who've been unwilling to speak the truth and love to people because of fear. And yet, God, I pray that you would be the one to encourage them. Forgive us for where we've been unfaithful and give us courage. Not because we will avoid pain, but because in every pain we have you. Oh God, make it true. In Jesus' name.